you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we are going to finish our study in 2 Peter this evening. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3. Remember the words spoken about the day. The day. And so hopefully you, you kind of get a gist of what this lesson is going to be about. Uh, but before we jump into the text, there was a man, uh, his, his pen name was David Mead. Now you understand what a pen name is. It's a name, it's sort of a fake name because you don't necessarily want to give your real name. But this, this man by the name of David Mead claimed that the world was going to end September 23rd, 2017. I don't know if you remember this. It wasn't that long ago. I don't necessarily remember uh, this in the news, but this is a man who has written many books on the subject. Uh, He referred to it as doomsday. Uh, He had a theory based on some mathematical calculations and astronomy, the geopolitical news at the time, and even throwing in some, uh, you know, book of revelation into his, uh, his theory. But he claimed that there was this planet. Uh, he referred to it as Planet X or Planet uh, Nabooru, uh, which was hidden behind the sun, he said. And that it would eventually would make itself known uh, on that day and collide with Earth and destroy it. Well, of course, that day came and went and nothing happened. So then he went back and he recalculated based on his, uh, his findings. And he said, no, 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 uh, really, it's going to be on October 15th. Of 2017. Well, again, that day came and went and nothing happened. He said uh, later on in the statement that what he meant to say was that the world as we know it is starting to end or it's the beginning of the end. So you kind of see that he kept changing his his position as uh, his prediction never came true. And sort of, you know, these end of the world predictions, uh, they seem a little silly to us considering what we know Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But on that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels uh, of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. You know, back in Michigan, uh, I used to get the mail for the congregation there. And uh, there, there was like once a month or every other month, there was always this letter postmarked from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And all it said was Elijah. And I never knew who this person was, or who this Elijah was, but he sent mail to the church building every month. And when you opened it, it was just these pages and pages of Old Testament prophecy scriptures and his calculations pointing to what he again referred to as the end of days or the, the day that the world would, uh, would end, would cease. You know, there, there's a lot of people who believe uh, that they can, uh, you know, navigate through the scriptures and figure out the end of time, the end of the world. Uh, We know that there's a lot of different uh, examples throughout Scripture. Another man by the name of Harold Camping is somebody who you might be familiar with. He predicted back in 2011 that the world was going to end. And again, that, of course, did not happen. And then he just referred to it again as something spiritual instead of physical. Haley's Comet, you remember that? The last time it was passing through, many believed that was going to be the end. Y2K of the year 2000, you know, when we turned from 1999 to 2000, many stayed up all night believing that uh, the computer systems were going to crash and we were going to have the end of the world at that time. And maybe even more recently, the Mayan calendar. You remember this? December 12, 2012 was the end of the Mayan calendar. And so a lot of people thought that that was a valid prediction of the end of the world, too. Again, we might look at those and think they may be a little silly, but we, we know what the scriptures teach and what we're going to see here tonight. And for many, you know, that day is not going to be necessarily a laughing matter. 
Well, again, we've been studying Second Peter together. I'm not going to take the time to go through where we were, but you recall in chapters 1, uh, we talked about the words spoken about Jesus. And Peter uh, referencing over and over again, you need to remember these things. You need to remember what Jesus taught. You need to remember the truth and promises of Jesus. And then last week, we went through in-depth study of uh, chapter 2 when Peter was talking about false teaching and false teachers. And we noticed their actions and we noticed... Uh, the punishment that they were going to go through uh, by Peter giving us Old Testament examples of, of those uh, teachers who were destroyed because of that. And then we also noticed uh, the characteristics of those false teachers. You know, they love the, the wages of unrighteousness like Balaam in the Old Testament. But here we get to uh, the last section of this, this letter, Second Peter chapter 3, and we're going to see what Peter has to say about the day. The day. So let's, let's begin our reading in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, and notice what Peter has to say. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. You notice there's that that theme uh, to our letter here, 2 Peter chapter 2, that theme, that uh, reminder, right? Peter says, one more time, I am writing these things to remind you. And he also told them, refer to that first letter I sent you. Now, that's probably what we refer to as 1 Peter. Of course, Peter didn't write that to them saying, okay, this is 1 Peter and this is 2 Peter. But he had written to them before and now he's writing to them again. And he again, he says, remember the Old Testament scriptures. Remember the teaching of Jesus and his apostles. And don't worry about those words of the false teachers that we talked about last week. Don't worry about them. You focus on, on Jesus. You focus in on his prophets and his apostles. And that's the same message that we should uh, keep with us today as well. You remember in Jude, uh, the half-brother of Jesus said in, in verse 3 of his letter that we need to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Uh, the faith, everything we need to know, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, everything pertaining to life and godliness, God has given to us now. So remember those. Don't think about the the false teachers and what they have to say, but remember Jesus and his apostles and the Old Testament scriptures. You know, it's been about 30 years or so since Jesus has uh, has died and been uh, resurrected when Peter is writing this. It's been about 30 years since Jesus told the people that he's coming back. And Peter there again in verse 3 says, Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Well, what is the last days? Well, we're in the last days now. Joel chapter 2 mentions this. Isaiah chapter 2 mentions this. This is in reference to the Christian age. You know, the Mosaic age is over with. And so uh, when we got, or when Christ uh, and the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the church came into, into existence, When the church was established, we are now in the last days. We are in the age of Christianity. And we are living in them now. We've been living in them now for the past 2,000 years. And Peter says these mockers, or your translations may say scoffers, uh, these are probably likely those false teachers uh, that we read about in chapter 2. You're saying, you really think this is going to happen? You know, where is he? It's been well over 30 years. 
you know, shouldn't he be here by now? Uh, for, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as is. You know, the, the fathers they're referring to are probably their own uh, fathers, their own flesh and blood, who maybe even saw Jesus in the flesh and talked to Jesus. Um, maybe they saw him, but they're saying now they've fallen asleep, meaning they've passed on, they've died. Uh, but yet there's still no Jesus. And again, we deal with that same problem today, again, some 2,000 years later in the 21st century. You know, as the years continue to pass, skepticism increases. And also, you know, the false, uh, the, the false predictions like this man by the name of David Mead, you know, they don't help the cause of Christ either. But Peter's going to answer the complaint of these scoffers and these mockers. And really, this is how we should do that as well. And so we're going to notice these three as we continue on reading. Look at verses 5 and 6. Peter writes, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Peter says it escaped their notice, or literally it says they are willfully ignorant of this fact that God used long ago in the creation. He used water to form the ancient world, and then he destroyed the world by water through the flood in Noah's day. God intervened, and he brought an end to all that wickedness. Again, he destroyed all of those people. Peter says he has done it before, and he certainly can do it again. So again, don't listen to those false teachers. Don't listen to them mocking you, saying, where is Jesus? Because God has done it before, and he will do it again. Verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You know, the first time God destroyed the the earth by water, uh, you know, those eight souls made it out. Noah and his wife and his three sons and their, their three wives. But the next time, Peter says, it won't be by water, but it will be by fire and nothing will remain. The present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire. You know, heaven is mentioned or heavens is mentioned five times in this chapter alone. 2 Peter chapter 3. And we need to keep in mind the context when we're uh, reading uh, that word heavens. Because the word heaven or heavens is used in three different ways. The first way it's used in scripture is, you know, where the birds fly. When I look up into the sky and see the birds fly, uh, sometimes the Bible refers to that as the heavens. Uh, The second uh, one, which is probably what we're more familiar with, is when we look up into the sky and we see the stars and the heavenly bodies up there. You know, Genesis chapter 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the, war, the, the, the heavens and the earth. You know, that, that, that's the other um, use of the word heaven. But number three, and what we're probably more familiar with, is the abode of God. It's where Jesus is reigning right now, in heaven. And so when we read the word heaven in scripture, we need to make sure we understand uh, which way the Bible is using it. But here, it's that second option. Uh, this means uh, all of humanity, all of the universe... He says there again, uh, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of godly men. Didn't God promise never to destroy the earth again? You remember that back in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21? Didn't he promise to never destroy the world again? Well, no, he just never, or he promised never to do it in the same manner as the flood. 
right? That, that rainbow represented that promise that he would never destroy the world by, by water ever again. But we know in other passages in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, that tell us when Jesus returns, he's going to return with, his, with his, angel, his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. That day will come. Again, that day, the coming day of judgment. Well, look at verses 8 through 10. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So remember, I gave you that first argument that Peter made when he said that uh, when he was dealing with those mockers and scoffers, he said, you know what? It happened before. It will happen again. Well, that second argument that Peter makes is there in verse eight. He says that God is not bound by time. One day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day to God. What does that mean? Again, God is not bound by time. You can't put God on a calendar or on a timetable. He knows all the past present and future, all at the same time. You know, one, one way that I've often been uh, described this to kind of you know, help me to uh, think about this, how this all works, uh, is think of a parade. You know, if I'm watching a parade at one point, uh, I see the beginning of it, and maybe you know, 30 minutes later, the middle of that parade is coming through, and then maybe an hour later, finally the end of that parade makes its way, and usually Santa Claus is at the end of the parade, you know. Well, God sees the parade all at once. He sees the beginning, the middle, and the end all at once. Again, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. So if Christ made the promise uh, 35 years, or a thousand years, or 2,000 years ago, or, that means nothing to God. Right? The same thing as a day is to us. Again, he is not limited, governed by time. And so Peter gives us that second reason, that second argument that we can use against the scoffer, the mocker, that God is not bound by time. And then in verse 9, he gives us that third argument, that God is long-suffering. God has not come back yet because he is long-suffering. He's giving time. He's patient. He's waiting for people to change their ways before the day of judgment. He's not failing at his promise, but rather, again, he is long-suffering. He's enduring, and he does not want any to perish, that verse says. But a time is coming when his patience uh, is going to end. He's going to be as patient as long as he can. Will that happen in my lifetime? Maybe, or maybe not. Today, tomorrow, a thousand years from now? I don't know. You know, I heard a preacher once say that, you know, that again, they, you know, we understand that we don't know when that's going to happen, when that day is going to happen. But he made this interesting point that, you know, uh, when the Lord comes back, I hope it's going to be on a Sunday. I hope he comes back and he's going to see me faithfully, you know, worshiping him in his church. But also, I'm hoping that he comes back on a Sunday because he's given everybody one last chance to change, one last chance to repent. Why can we trust that Jesus will come back? Well, again, number one, he has done it before and he will do it again. Number two, he is not bound by time like us. And number three, he is long-suffering and he's giving people time to repent. And so that we can trust that Jesus is going to come back. In verse 10 there, again, it says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
Well, how does a thief work when he's planning a job? Does he call up the homeowner in the middle of the night and say, hey, about 11 o'clock, I'm going to be casing your house, and it would be nice if maybe you just uh, go to bed early or maybe even leave the house altogether so that you know, I'm going to stop by and take what I need? Well, no, a thief doesn't work like that. You can't figure out when a thief is going to come. He doesn't leave clues. He doesn't have some formula. There's no set date. Have you ever heard someone say, the, the sign of the times are near? Again, what, what signs are they talking about? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, we just read that passage. Again, Jesus said, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son, but only the Father. And he says in the very next verse, verse 37, it's going to be like the days of Noah. People are going to be eating, they're going to be drinking, they're going to be going about their business as if uh, nothing is going to happen. And that's going to be when Jesus returns. And he says, Peter says that it will all be done away with. Again, the heavens will pass away with a roar. You know, I believe in the Big Bang too. Just not the Big Bang that happened supposedly at the beginning of creation. But but here Peter says that the the heavens are going to pass away with a roar, a great bang. Not just at the beginning of creation, not at the beginning of creation, but at the end. Right? Have you ever started a fire and maybe uh, you, know, you poured a lot of gasoline onto it and you lit the match and you threw it in? It's, it can get pretty loud, can't it? You know, I, I imagine, again, may, maybe that's what that noise is going to be. But the elements, the heavenly bodies are going to be destroyed with intense heat, Peter says, and the earth and its works burned up. You know, that reminds me that everything you and I own is kindling. Our homes, our cars, our our possessions, all that is going to be kindling one day. And then look at verses 11 through 13. Peter continues and says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter says, because of all this destruction that's going to take place at any given moment, how should you be living your life? He says, in holy conduct and godliness, but also also looking for and hastening the second coming of Jesus. We should not be living each day in fear of his return. For Christians, it's a time of anticipation. It's a time of eagerness. Psalm 130, verse uh, 5 and 6, the psalmist said, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. You know, a watchman's job is to watch, right? But my soul, the psalmist says, is waiting even more than the watchman. He's eager for it. And notice, and think about that word hastening. You know, this verse, uh, a lot of people believe uh, that we also play a part in the hastening of the day of the Lord. Remember in uh, verse 9 that we just read, he wants all to come to repentance. He wants all men to be saved. What if you and I were out doing our job, converting souls to Christ? What if we were hastening the day, helping to hastening the day, helping to bring that day even quicker by bringing more and more and more to Christ? 
And then verse 13, again, he references that we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth. You know, when we read the book of Revelation, especially towards the end, the Apostle John gives us a lot of uh, beautiful descriptions of heaven. Again, it's, it's figurative, but it's very descriptive. The streets of gold and all of the, the precious stones. Peter doesn't do that for us. He just says simply that it's going to be a place in which righteousness dwells. Right? There's going to be no false teaching, no immorality, no sin. You know, it's like when Noah got off the ark, he could exhale because he's no longer living among the wicked. It's like when Lot, uh, when the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed and Lot could, uh, he could also exhale because he was no longer tormented by the neighbors. And we won't have to uh, no longer, you know, go to the newspaper and read the, the awful headline after awful headline. It is a place in which righteousness dwells. And what is this new heavens and a new earth that he's referring to? Well, I know that there are some that believe that this is speaking of a renovated earth, a renovated heaven that's just simply going to look like uh, it used to after the fire. But really, this is, uh, this is Peter using figurative language. It's also found in Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66, and Revelation chapter 21. He's just using figurative language, a metaphor to convey the idea of our next abode, heaven. A new heavens and a new earth. And then finally, Peter in verses 14 through 18. And notice as we close out this letter, Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter says that we need to prepare for the day of eternity. Remember, the, the false teachers back in chapter 2, verse 13, they were described as having stains and blemishes. Peter says you need to be the opposite. You need to be spotless. You need to be blameless. And also have patience towards the day of eternity. Again, he, he makes that statement, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Right. Uh, Be patient with God, because the more opportunities for people to receive salvation, the better. Uh, Be patient with God, because the door to salvation will be shut at his coming. And Peter also says that Paul wrote to you about these same things. Look at his letters. Now, he does mention that that some of the things Paul wrote was hard to understand, but he doesn't say they were impossible to understand. He says they're hard. You know, you got to dig in a little bit. You need to study uh, these things. And then finally, the unyielding, be unyielding before the day of eternity. Peter concludes by saying, be on your guard. Right? How do you guard against unprincipled men and their errors? Well, we study. Right? We know the truth. We, we, we can't allow them to twist the scriptures, as Peter says, to their own destruction. And so in verse 18, and I love this verse, I often will quote it in many sermons. Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to grow in grace. Of course, Christ supplies that, grow in grace, but also grow in knowledge. 
right? Pursue it. Get that Bible knowledge. We need to continually grow in it. Well, we've completed another book together. Uh, we, we've done this with Colossians, and we've done this with First Peter, and now we've completed Second Peter. And so I've really appreciated the opportunity to study this with you in this manner. And I hope these studies have given you a better insight of what you know, the writers of that day were trying to express. And I hope to continue to do these over, over the, the next few months and pick another book and we'll go through that. But again, that same message that Peter had for them in that day, we need to hear as well. Remember back in chapter 1, add to your faith these seven virtues, right? Add, uh, add knowledge and add self-control. Uh, remember he said at the end of chapter 1 that no prophecy of, prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, right? This isn't my word Peter was saying, but this was word spoken uh, through uh, the Holy Spirit that I am recording. Beware of those false teachers among you, chapter 2. Stand strong against the mockers, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. But also remember that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, like a thief in the night. And will you be prepared for that day? You know, it's nothing the faithful Christian should worry about the day of the Lord. We should be anticipating it, eager about it. But for those who know they need to get right, what are you waiting for? What are they waiting for? He could return tonight. He could return next week or in a thousand years. But do we really want to take that chance here tonight, this evening, as we offer the invitation? If anyone here this evening uh, is ready to uh, put Christ on in baptism, to become a Christian, we would love the opportunity to uh, help you in that endeavor. The Bible tells us that we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, confess Him as Lord, and be baptized for the remission of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to His church. Or if you're a member here and you need the prayers of this congregation, that maybe there's some sin in, le- this, in your life that you need to um, confess and, and need help with and to be strengthened, again, we would love nothing more to help you uh, with that. Again, remember the words spoken about the day. Will it be today? Will it be tomorrow? Will it be a thousand years from now? We just don't know, but we need to be prepared. And so if we can help you tonight, uh, please let us know as together we stand and sing.